0: hello this is William Fink and this is Christagenia Saturdays today is Saturday June 16th 2018 praise Yahweh the God of Israel and thank you for listening here we are going to present a critical review of Bertrand Compare's sermon I come as a thief doing this we may be especially hard on Compere for his failed view of eschatology. But before we criticize him, we will also admit that if we had lived in his same era, or myself in particular, I too may have fallen into the trap which he did, believing that the end of the age was going to come to its conclusion in the Cold War with the Soviet Union. and a nuclear conflagration and invasion of the United States by the communist hordes which is what Compere certainly believed was going to happen but we now see that the communist hordes were here all along and they have already come to control practically everything of note in America They are called Jews and have deceived us with party politics and capitalist internationalism while making our western nations safe for Marxism and a flood of non-white so-called immigrants. These devils were still under much deeper cover in the 1960s when Compré was writing and he did not even see what was truly going to come. However, when we set aside the errors in Compare's eschatology, he is still correct in his principle, and that is because he did his best, in spite of the temptations to imagine the future, to adhere to the prophecy already given in Scripture, in both the Old Testament and in the words of Yahshua Christ. So even though the play on the world stage did not take the course that Cambré thought that it might, his conclusions are certainly valid and his sermon worthy of review. So he begins. A man cannot be a podiatrist and trim your toe corns i know that's probably an image you didn't need without passing an examination to prove that he is competent to provide this service but any fool can become a legislator and a lot of fools do become one consequently our laws as a rule are the products of unskilled labor in trying to draft a statute it isn't too difficult to word it so that anybody who is trying in good faith can understand it. The big problem is to word it so that somebody who is trying in bad faith to misunderstand it cannot do so and of course Compare was a lawyer but I still don't agree with his assessment on the legislature compare is correct concerning the unskilled labor analogy and politicians but the scriptures warned of us that they warned us of that in judges chapter 9 the truth is that legislators don't really write any legislation at all instead special interests have teams of jewish lawyers write it and they hand it to legislators to promote in committee the lack of skill is useful to those special interests because the legislators often don't even know what they are promoting and usually do not even read all the hundreds of pages of the laws which they vote to pass. Continuing with Compré, we must realize that pastors operate not much differently than politicians. And he says, we have a somewhat similar problem with the Bible somehow no matter how plainly the Bible states something it is always possible for some little sect to pick some verse out of context and manage to completely misinterpret it and then make it a principal doctrine and off they go we are going to learn about one of these doctrines today some of our major churches don't really believe in the return of Joshua they don't require their ordained ministers to claim that they believe Joshua is actually returning even those who do believe it can get some surprising differences of doctrine about this subject as to what the return of Yahshua will be like there is a good deal about this subject in the Bible <coughs> and it seems to me to be pretty clear I want you to learn what some of the churches have done with this information. Confusion has arisen because in Revelation chapter 16 verse 15 Yahshua says, Behold, I come as a thief. When a thief or burglar breaks into your house and steals something, ordinarily we don't catch him in the act. He gets away without us seeing him. Because of this short passage some churches teach Joshua is coming back, but nobody will know he is here. From the words, Behold, I come as a thief, there is the obvious inference that Joshua's coming will not be observed in sufficient time. This is very different from saying that he is going to come and go, and nobody will know he has been here. If somebody tells you that a thief can stand right in front of you and look, you can look right through him because he is invisible you wouldn't be fooled by that for a minute yet this is what some of these sects teach as to the return of Joshua. some of these sects teach there will be not only a second coming of Joshua, but even a third they teach he is really coming the first time just to collect his church, his elect, to resurrect some of the dead And translate some of the living. Then. Joshua and his church. Are going to flee from the world. And leave Satan in triumphant possession of the earth. For three and a half years. As if he doesn't already possess it. You might get this out of some fiction story. But you can't get this out of the Bible. Not if you honestly read it. These sects know what Yahshu- that Yahshua is coming back. He is going to collect those who are worthy, the elect. He is also going to judge the whole world. These are supposed to be, in, in, in the mind of those sects, two different, separate, and distinct times. And let me say that these are claims of many of the rapture cults and it is essentially a comic book religion based on a bad interpretation of two or three passages. But people love to believe in lies. However, Compré himself, and he doesn't really get into this here, but we will get into it in one of these reviews very soon. Compré himself often had a problem with the so-called millennium. In some of his sermons he taught that Christ would return. Conquer his enemies and rule over them for a thousand years, after which those enemies would somehow make a comeback. So even he was blindsided by some bad translations, interpolations of scripture, and Judeotard baggage. Continuing with Comparé, one group even says that Yahshua has already been here and gotten his elect. When they say this, they are confessing that they themselves are not of the elect because they are still around. They also can't point to any sudden and mysterious disappearance of some of their church congregation either. Apparently nobody in the group made it. Of course, Comperay wrote this sermon addressing people that we refer to as Judeotards, which are the denominational Christians of the organized churches all of which have been Judaized to a great degree but concerning the second advent which is the promised return of Christ we have many other heresies within Christian identity some whom we must label preterists think that he is already come and is not going to return So clowns like V.S. Harrell insist the return of Christ was in 70 AD. Others, similar to him, see the problems with that claim and push it up to the fall of Rome in the 5th century AD. Still others, who are not preterists, insist that Christians, a term which we properly limit to include only white people, must do something in order to bring Christ back for themselves. Paul of Tarsus made a statement insinuating that nobody could do that in Romans chapter 10 who shall, en- who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ, or as I translate that, the anointed, again from the dead. We can't bring Christ back. None of our actions are going to do that. But these Christians, identity Christians, feel that, we must do something in order to bring Christ back that if they rise up against the beast that they can somehow force the hand of God to return the kingdom to the true children of Israel on this point they come to near agreement with many of the preterists who think that Christians should have been attempting that endeavor for themselves since 70 A.D and are failures for not yet having been successful. And that's V.S. Herald's attitude. But the fact of the matter is that Christ himself, when asked by his disciples, Prince, that at this time shall you restore the kingdom to Israel? He had responded, and said, it is not yours to know, the times or the seasons, which the Father has placed into his own authority, rather you shall receive power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the end of the earth, meaning the physical ends of the land. So immediately thereafter he departed from them, and ascended to the Father and as his disciples marveled at the spectacle two men in white clothing stood by them and they said men Galileans why do you stand looking into the heaven this Joshua who was taken up from you into the heaven thusly shall he come in the manner which you have beheld him going into the heaven these things are recorded in Acts chapter 1 in this sermon Compré did not cite that chapter of Acts but he certainly makes the same points from other scriptures so we continue where he asks <coughs> what does the Bible really say on this subject when we find this simile of stealthily coming as a thief used by Joshua, he always uses it in such a way as to make it perfectly clear That if you don't notice it in time, it is your own fault for not being on the alert looking for him. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44, warn us, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour Yahshua does come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house broken into therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the son of man cometh is there anything in these Bible verses from which you could get the inference that his coming is going to be invisible nothing that I could see it is very plain if you are on the alert you will observe his coming If you aren't alert, it is your own fault. The same emphasis upon the need to be watchful is found in the other verses where the thief idea is used. And of course, many preterists also believe that Christ would come by proxy in other words, Jesus really isn't going to come back. A proxy is going to act on his behalf, and that will be the equivalent of Christ coming. And a lot of the followers of V.S. Herald have made that claim, referring to Titus when dis- Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Oh, Titus played the role of Christ as Jerusalem was destroyed. And that was the end. And we have no more prophecy after that. Basically, it's all up to us. The word of God has no effect. The hand of God has no operation in the world ever since then. That's their attitude. It's ridiculous. It's not a belief in God. It's not a belief that Yahweh will keep his promises, which is the true Christian faith it's a disbelief in man it's a negative belief I I don't know, it's probably worse than that where Camperé says if not, it is your own fault he means to imply that the consequences of your not having been watchful shall be your own fault because there will be consequences if you are not mentally and spiritually prepared for his coming this is clear where we see in Revelation chapter 18 and another passage which Comparé did not cite here that the fall of Babylon is described and we read and I heard another voice from out of heaven saying you come out from her my people that you should not partake in her errors and that you would not receive from all of her wounds because her errors have built up as far as heaven and Yahweh has called to mind her injustices those who are not watchful will not understand that call to know that they must come out of Babylon so instead they shall suffer along with the ungodly Compré explains that in another way a little later, but for now he continues. We come across this coming-as-a-thief idea in the course of the messages to the seven churches, and under the angel of the church of Sardis write, Be watchful, and strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before Yahweh. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt know what hour I will come upon thee. There is always perfect consistency. The only reason we wouldn't see the thief is that we don't know when to expect him, and we aren't watching. (coughs) Revelation 16.5 is the first verse I mentioned, Compare mentioned the Judeo-Christian churches usually only quoting behold I come as a thief let's quote more than this one verse behold I come as a thief blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame then we come to 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 which states but the day of Joshua will come as a thief in a night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Comparé says, It doesn't sound quiet to me. The point is that these scriptures consistently and expressly teach that when Christ returns, there will be no doubt as to what is happening, and everyone will know it. They will know it, and they will not be able to dispute it, like we have a relative handful of people pushing 70 AD praetorism and similar heresies. Which are only ridiculous distractions that are contrary to all Scripture. Returning to compare, First Thessalonians chapter five verses one through six continues, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of Yahshua so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day overtake you as a thief. Therefore let us not sleep as do the others, but let us watch and be sober, or vigilant. There is a sentence in there that ought to be required reading for all of our government officials. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. No one has ever trusted the communists in anything, not once, without being betrayed. Why should we? It is the same old Jewish satanic organization that has been trying to destroy Israel for centuries. And of course by Israel, Compré means to describe the true Israel, the white nations of Christendom. This time which he refers to is indeed upon us. Jewry so much thinks that it is in full control of the world. That there is open talk on thousands of websites, particularly on Jewish websites of a Pax Judaica gradually replacing the post-Second World War period which the establishment pundits have dubbed the Pax Americana. In course of course in real terms Pax Judaica is a euphemism for Jewish world supremacy and the fulfillment of the objectives outlined in the Protocols of Satan. So we await the day that sudden destruction comes upon them Compré continues there has been plenty of warning in the Bible that if we aren't ready if we aren't watching we may not observe the coming of Joshua until it is too late what does the Bible indicate that his return will be like there are few prophecies in the Bible all relating to ancient times where a date was set it would say, within so many years such a thing would happen. This is very rare. It is not the normal procedure in biblical prophecy. Normally, the Bible will give a sign that we are approaching the date when a certain prophecy will be fulfilled, and it tells us to look for a certain sign. When we see the sign, we know what is about to happen. It is the rule concerning prophecies that deal with our own time we are told of events which will happen that will be indications that the big event is near and if we watch we will see the event happen if we are watching the prophesied event is not going to catch us unawares Matthew chapter 24 tells of Joshua, and the disciples being near the temple in Jerusalem the big temple that Herod built and let me say that that temple was already the third temple so even the devil is wrong it was a magnificent structure the disciples were commenting on the magnificent building when Yahshua said the time is coming when not one stone of this will be left standing upon another when the disciples got a chance to talk with Yahshua about it later they asked him about what he had said Matthew chapter 24 verse 3 records and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age the King James Bible says end of the world but in the Greek it says end of the age this planet is going to be around for a very long time yet and if we pay close attention we can see that the disciples asked three questions, thinking that all of those things would happen at the same time. Christ gave one answer and left it for us to sort out. Continuing with Comparé, who begins to cite Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21 concurrently, as they are all separate recollections of the same discourse given in response to the questions of the disciples. Then Joshua went on to list seven signs. When we see these signs come to pass, we would know that Yahshua's return would soon come. Matthew chapter 24 verses 5 through 11 tells us the first sign, false prophets and false Christs and we were inundated with these in the late 20th century especially Mark chapter 13 verses 6 and 21 6 and 21 to 22 and Luke chapter 21 verse 8 tells us the same thing we are getting false prophets by the car lot, by the car load by the carload lots in the National Council of Churches these days there have even been some false Christs some of you have heard of the Baha'i sect they say that their founder who is coming back the high ruler is the messiah of all religions including those religions which don't have any messiah then there is the young Hindu boy G.D. Krishnamurti more like little street shitter in English they try to tell us he was the reincarnation of Joshua. This has fooled nobody but the Theosophists. The truth is that whites would never even be exposed to this trash if it were not for the Jewish media, which promotes all religions in order to reduce Christianity to the level of just another cult. It benefits the agenda of the Jew if whites would see all religions as being equally viable, like either 7-Up, Coke or Pepsi may quench one's thirst not that I would drink any of it, any off-the-shelf religion can get one to heaven at least according to the agenda which the Jew has pushed into Christian society. The sad part is that Christians go along with it. To the Jew life is only a series of economic choices and personal flavor preferences again continuing with compare Matthew chapter 24 Mark 13 and Luke 21 and he gives the verse numbers but i will spare you because they'll be in the text at christagenia give the second sign there will be wars, and rumors of wars. Nation arising against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. At this point Joshua gave them an additional warning. Don't be deceived by this, because there are going to be wars all the time. No ordinary war is the sign of a return of Joshua. It has to be quite an extraordinary one. Joshua said these are just the beginning of trouble. But the end is not yet. The fourth sign, there would be pestilence. The fifth sign, there would be earthquakes. The sixth sign is something we have neither heard nor seen for a long time. Yeshua said, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. The Greek word translated as end, tell us means really and emphatically the very end and I have a little digression here about that word telus because I've always been rather fascinated with this ever since I saw a certain passage in the writing of Herodotus and I had the good fortune to be reading the Septuagint at around the same time so as soon as I saw what Herodotus said about this word telus and its meaning in Persian, it made me realize what this phrase, which constantly occurs in the Psalms, in the preface to particular Psalms, which is, for the end, a Psalm of David, it made me realize what that meant. The word telus also has the meaning of fulfillment and as we learn from Herodotus, speaking of Persian customs, their word for fulfillment which he had literally translated into Greek as telias, a derivative of telus which has a similar meaning, was used to describe a banquet feast given by the Persian king. This is the true significance of the phrase which we see in many of the Psalms which are prefaced with the words for the end a Psalm of David if you have a Bible that preserves the superscripts of the Psalms such as Breton Septuagint you can see that many Psalms are prefaced in that manner some modern English Bibles re- preserve those superscripts, and many others don't. But Psalms 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 29, 30, and nearly 30 other Psalms all begin with the words, in Greek, in the Septuagint, I Psalmus psalmis to David or, in English, if they are read literally, for the end, a Psalm of David. Of course, all all of these psalms were songs, and they were sung publicly in accompaniment to orchestral music. I would contest, therefore, that the Hebrew words which the later translators had rendered literally as for the end really meant the same thing that herodotus described to the persians and david really wrote them to be performed at a dinner of state a banquet celebrating the fulfillment of something david writes a psalm and calls it for the end but we should change that to for my next banquet for the banquet that's upcoming that's what he wrote those psalms for a banquet celebrating the fulfillment of something, whether it be a feast or a Sabbath, it doesn't matter. However, I did not offer this digression to contend with compare. Rather, I only wanted to point out that the end is not really the end. But for the children of Yahweh, it is only a new beginning. That is because, in an eschatological sense, at the end of the age, what do we have? We have a banquet. We have the wedding feast of the Lamb, and Christians shall rejoice at the banquet of our God, which is described in Revelation chapter 19 as the complete destruction of all of the enemies of Christ. Continuing with Comparé, who has yet to discuss one more sign. In the time of Joshua, and the original apostles. They preached the gospel of the kingdom of Yahweh. Then, not long after Yahshua was crucified, the kingdom gospel was forgotten and junked and that's true, maybe a hundred years after. All that was preached after this time was the gospel of personal salvation. It is only within our lifetime that there has been any substantial amount of the preaching of the Gospel of the Kingdom of Yahweh. Note that Yahshua didn't say the Gospel of the Kingdom would be preached to all nations to convert them. Quite to the contrary, this Gospel was only to be preached as a witness. This was so nobody could ask why they weren't told about it. People will have been told and refused to accept the message. That's our message. We have long said that true Christianity was persecuted out of existence by the end of the first century. That is another digression which we shall save for another time. But compare would certainly agree. Compare continues. The seventh sign. The last one. The abomination of desolation standing in the Holy Place. The Holy Place, if there was ever one that could be called this, would be the site of King Solomon's Temple in Jerusalem. This site was under the control of the Jordanian Arabs until the 1967 war when the Jews seized the old city of Jerusalem containing the Holy Places. The Jews had been saying that they were going to demolish the Mohammedan Mosque The Dome of the Rock, which stands on the site of Solomon's Temple. They plan to rebuild a Jewish temple on the old site, saying they are going to rebuild Solomon's Temple. And of course, that's the objective of Freemasonry. So Freemasons have really been Christian Zionists and cucks for Jews ever since the organization was instituted. There have been many shipments of high-grade American marble stone cut in Indiana and shipped over there, ready for use in the rebuilding of the temple. And I could not corroborate that, but that's okay. So far the Jews haven't quite had the gall to start demolishing the mosque of Omar, as this mosque is commonly called. If and when they start the demolition of this mosque, the Jews aren't going to be facing only a relatively small number of Arabs. They will be facing the whole Muslim world. Not really, because they're, they'll, they'll all be in Europe and America. This is a very holy site to the Mohammedans, second only to Mecca. The entire Mohammedan world will declare a holy war immediately, and this is about 450 million people or more the abomination that brings desolation is certainly the Jewish control of the holy place, and we must interpret this differently. Capri is a little soft on Arabs, who are also, in large degree, the descendants of the same Canaanite bastards that the Jews descended from. They are also abominations, every bit as much as the damned Jews. However, we do believe that the Israeli state and the Dome of the Rock, which Camperé calls the Mosque of Omar, figure into the prophecy of the abomination of desolation. It is too long to repeat here, and we do not want to distract from Camperé's purpose in this sermon, but we discuss this at length in our own commentaries on this prophecy in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13. It must be reconciled with a similar prophecy in Daniel. You can't understand what Christ said in Matthew 24 by itself. In short, Daniel describes the setting up of the abomination of desolation. And then he gives two periods of 1290 and of 335 days or prophetic years now if the day to a year prophecy holds up in Daniel and 1948 is the beginning point for the abomination of desolation we can kick back and have a beer because we have a long time I hope not I pray not but if the building of the mosque of omar is the kickoff period for those 1290 and 335 prophetic years as i believe it is from then from the time when that abomination was built because the mosque of omar is also a goddamned abomination it's nothing good from then periods which i believe ended in 1913 and 1947, surely are pertinent to the quote-unquote time of the end. In 1914, we had the first great war, and the first steps to the fulfillment of Zionism were in 1913. And in 1948, the Israeli state was founded, which paved the way for the fulfillment of the prophecy in the opening verses of Malachi concerning the return to the desolate places of Esau that's the fulfillment of the abomination of desolation but it's the end of that 1290 and 1335 year period which started when the Dome of the Rock was built in my humble opinion For now we shall continue with Compare. In Luke chapter 21, Joshua goes into more detail. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So likewise ye when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of Yahweh is nigh at hand, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and the cares of this life so that they should come upon you unawares for as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. How can any anybody mistake the plain meaning of these signs I don't know the signs are there if we will watch for them there are a lot of people who are going to find this time is suddenly here before they are ready for it simply because they have not been watching there is no doubt the Bible promised that Joshua upon his return will gather his elect the Judeo Christian churches like to call this the rapture of the church some of the dead, those who have been selected for this particular purpose, will be resurrected and I don't know if compare holds to that, but he sort of did, and that ties back into his millennial belief, which he shared in common but here he seems to be attributing that simply to these Judeo-Christian churches so I will let it go but that's okay some of the living who have been selected without experiencing death will be given their immortal bodies just like the resurrected dead and Paul of Tarsus explains that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it says we will be caught up into the air to meet him as he returns and that's what the Judeo-Christians believe their rapture with their curious ability to misinterpret the bible preachers have taken the 70 weeks period 490 years as daniel prophesied and teach that the 70th week doesn't come until after the 69th week doesn't come after the 69th week i'm sorry but that there is a gap over 19 centuries between the 69th week of years and the 70th week of years the Judeo-christians garble what Daniel had prophesied so it can't be recognized what was to happen in the 70th week and that's actually exactly what they do they take that 70th week and they say that that's the week of the Antichrist and it actually says of that week that he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week I don't know what covenant the Antichrist is confirming. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Well, that's what happened during the last week of Christ's ministry. And that's what it really pertains to. The Judeo-Christians really do garble what Daniel had prophesied. Compre continues. Then they teach that upon the return of Joshua who will come first for the rapture of the church then he will flee and let Satan take over without opposition for three and a half years some teach for seven years only after this will Joshua come back for the purpose of judgment on the wicked how is this for convoluted thinking? how the church could be taken away before this period of tribulation cannot be explained if we read the Bible read Mark chapter 13 verses 24 through 37 and remember they are quoting Yahshua but in those days after that tribulation this refers to the great tribulation this period of war and famine that we would go through when the final breakup of the age comes Joshua said it would be so terrible that if Yahweh had not shortened that period that no flesh would remain on earth But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and all the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall he send his angels, and shall gather his elect from the four winds, from the utmost part of heaven. Watch therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, at evening or at midnight or at the cock-crowing, or in the morning, lest suddenly coming he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you I say unto all, watch. The whole order of this is going to be the catastrophic breakup of the age. Terrible, Terrible events which don't come until we have first seen those seven signs that Joshua prophesied. Then will come this terrible cataclysm, and then after that there will be the return of Joshua. After we have observed his return, then he is going to gather his elect, the real church. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 42, Joshua gives another explanation of these events. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And he says, this verse alone ought to correct the preacher's errors. Was there a secret flood which floated the ark away and nobody noticed? Then after the flood, was this the judgment? Obviously not at all. Therefore when we are told that it will be just as it was in the days of Noah how can they come to this curiously foolish doctrine of the secret rapture but as the days of Noah were before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them away so shall also the coming of the son of man be watch therefore for ye know not what hour Your master does come. Now, Comparais was focused on the days of Noah and the surprise of the flood for those who didn't believe why Noah was building the ark. But the real parallel, what is really important besides the fact that when Christ comes there shall be great destruction everywhere just as in the days of Noah is what they were doing what they were doing before that event that's the real analogy and Camperet didn't really think about that and we'll just leave that aside. The preterists err when they imagine him to have only been speaking of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 24, when Titus left Jews all over the place in the other cities. 70 AD hardly destroyed the enemies of Christ, although it did crush the head and slow down their agenda for a long time to come. Compare continues, the Bible makes it very clear there will be no secret coming the second coming will be accompanied by the most tremendous phenomenon the world has ever seen this will be too great for even the dullest to overlook once it starts happening the point is when it occurs it is going to be too late to get into the real elect we have something to do first the return of Joshua will be unexpected by those who have not believed and haven't been on the watch in other words with the parable of the ten virgins it's too late for the five of them to come back to the room, that's what Compre is referring to I believe because he next uses that parable as an analogy we would interpret this a little differently imagining that when it happens it will be too late For many to separate themselves from the enemies of Yahweh, so they will share with their punishment. That's what we're told in Revelation chapter 18. So he continues Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, gives us a pretty clear illustration of just exactly what is going to happen. In one of Yahshua's parables, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps, and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in the vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said unto the wise give us your oil for our lamps are gone out but the wise answered saying not so lest there be not enough for you and us but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves and while they went to buy the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut afterward came also the other virgins saying master master open up to us But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Those who reject Yahshua as their Savior and Redeemer have no choice remaining to them but to face judgment of their sins, because they have refused to accept the only way out. Of those who do accept him as their Savior and Redeemer, this is only the beginning, this is not the end of the matter. Of those who accept him, we see two groups, those who believe him and know to come out from among his enemies, and those who do not know better and who are punished along with them. There will be a lot of Judeotards on that side of the fence. While all Israel shall be saved in the end, many will suffer in the process. Now Compré continues with the discussion of the meaning of salvation. Salvation means only continued life. Both the Hebrew words in the Old Testament and the Greek words in the New Testament that have been translated salvation mean only safety, and that's perfectly true. If you could find somebody floundering around, floundering around in deep water, unable to swim, and you grab him by the collar and pull him to shore, you have given him salvation, and he has been given safety the word salvation is used in the Christian religion with a further connotation that is only because we have an eternal spirit so salvation means something more for the children of Adam than it does for niggers, street shitters, and squat monsters who do not have the spirit of God the word salvation is used in the Christian religion with a further connotation this is not a religious statement not at all this is basically a biological statement we have the spirit of God they do not so it's not really a religion it's simply a biological truth that's what it is when this meat and bones body that we walk around in dies our real personality will not also perish Yahweh will give us continued life well if we have the spirit of Adam Yahweh already gave us that gift we already have that gift Yahweh will give us continued life with a new body of suitable form Paul says if there is a natural body there is also a spiritual we should believe that we already have that body so then we will have a conscious existence on what level will this be and i'm sort of arguing with compre between the lines i'm sorry i could probably make him see what i mean someday i'll write a full paper on it i guess Some nominal Christians are going to be very distinctly low man on the totem pole, and Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 certainly indicate that. They haven't fitted themselves for anything better than merely continued existence. Most of the churches don't try to teach you any more than this. In those few who do try, we don't find much enthusiasm on the part of most of the congregation to learn what it is all about and here Comprey's view of the relationship between body, spirit and mind is agreeable to our own outside of the differences which we have cited he does agree at least that all Christians will have some existence in the life to come Christian to me isn't a religious connotation. It's a racial one. You're one of the people of Christ, or you're not. You have no say in the matter. It don't matter if you don't believe. You're still one of his people. Look at um, Paul of Tarsus was worried about um, being in Corinth. And Joshua Christ told him. He said, I have many people in this city well, it was Paul that brought Christianity to Corinth so those many people in this city weren't Christians and the man that got Paul out of trouble that wouldn't put up with the accusations of the Jews was a pagan the Roman judge in Paul's trial in Corinth was a pagan, the proconsul so he was one of Yahweh's people so Paul wasn't supposed to worry but he was a pagan, what the hell Compare on eternal life, the spirit as far as I know on all Israel being saved, he did repeat that and he believed it however he never really completely filled out his full opinions on the matter in any one sermon so some may cherry pick his words to promote a different gospel and that's possible now as he continues he begins to attempt to correlate eschatology with the current events of his own time we have had experience since the time of Franklin D. Roosevelt with a miserable botch of a government it was actually going back a lot longer than that, probably from the days of George Washington, conducted by incompetent bureaucrats who don't know what they are doing. I can assure you that the kingdom of Yahweh is not going to be anything like this. Those who are going to have any part in it, those who will sit on the throne with Yahshua and reign with him, will only be those who have fitted themselves for it. Actually, the Revelation says it will be the apostles and the patriarchs. There will be many perfectly good saved Christians, as these churches call them, in the kingdom of Yahweh. They will simply have to sweep the streets and empty the garbage because they aren't fitted to do anything better. They turned it down. Those who wish the higher calling. To become part of the administrative staff of the kingdom of Yahweh are the comparatively few who have studied for it. They know what it is all about, and they will be fit to carry out their duties. And I think that Comparé lacks humility here, actually, because simply because you've had the opportunity to study very deeply doesn't put you above any of your brethren. I, I would never ad- admit or claim that. You know, Christ says, to whom much is given, much will be expected. Many have been given much, but haven't done much with it. So, we should always be humble. He continues, in Luke chapter 13, it is pretty clearly indicated again i am reading this particular passage from Lambsa's translation and and i got a big problem with this right Lambsa's translation from the aramaic as it is particularly easy to understand and quoting lambs from luke a man asked jesus are there only a few who are to be saved jesus said to him strive to enter in through the narrow gate door For I say to you that many will seek to enter in, and will not be able. From the hour when the master of the house rises up and locks the door, and you will begin to say, Our master, our master, open for us. And he will answer, saying, I say to you, I do not know you or where you are from. And you will begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say to you, I do not care. I do not know you, I'm sorry, or where you come from, Depart from me, O you workers of iniquity. And, you know, this might seem harmless, but it is a great error, in my opinion, to be quoting George Lamza on the New Testament. First, Lamza himself is an Arab bastard, a native Syrian, and his primary assertion, an argument which he himself popularized recently, is that the New Testament, or at least significant parts of it, was originally written in Aramaic. That is a lie, and especially in reference to the portion attributed to Luke, Paul, Mark, or John. All of them wrote in Greek, and it is also certain that Peter and James originally wrote in Greek. Matthew may have, may have, written a gospel first in Aramaic, but that is a separate issue. The Gospel of Matthew which we have the apostle probably wrote later because neither is that a translation it too was originally written in Greek accounts say he wrote an earlier gospel in Aramaic but that doesn't mean that the gospel we have is a translation from Aramaic it's not it was originally written in Greek the oldest surviving Aramaic manuscripts of any New Testament writing date only to the 5th century but there are Greek and Latin texts in use today which existed long before that all the way back to the 2nd century Origen's Hexapla and I'm just writing this argument in now because I really just thought about it origins hexapla had columns of all the translation major translations of the Bible and major versions of the Bible both Hebrew and Greek side by side and it's called hexapla because there were six columns of six different versions you'd think in Origen's time, which was um, maybe starting about 180 AD to about 220 in there, some 240 AD maybe in there. I'm going from memory, right? But it was around there. If there were Aramaic copies of Scripture extant of the New Testament in Origen's time, don't you think he may have included one if they were the original New Testament? I think he may have, if if that was the perception. It's not even mentioned in any of the early Christian writers that there's anything older of New Testament manuscripts than the Greek manuscripts. Nobody cites them from Justin Martyr a Samaritan who must have understood Aramaic he never said anything about Aramaic manuscripts he wrote in Greek okay there's plenty of other arguments I just haven't thought of them but I know them the earliest Aramaic versions are known to be translations from Greek the Peshitta is a translation of the Greek and and the um, Harklensis it's called made by a monk named Harkel, or something like that. that that's a translation from the Greek from the 5th or 6th century so why would Comperi think that a Greek to Aramaic tra- Engle- a, a Greek to Aramaic to English translation could be better or more accurate than a Greek to English translation escapes me now Lamza does have some value as a linguist where he explains certain Old Testament Hebrew idioms he does have value there and Clifton Emmeheiser has often quoted him in in that context but as far as I'm concerned he has nothing to offer us in New Testament translation nothing whatsoever Compare continues What is going to happen to many of the ministers in our churches today? They will say, Lord, didn't I teach the people of my church that the Old Testament was all a mistake and had to be discarded? Didn't I teach them your laws were wrong and were no longer in effect? Didn't I teach them to violate your laws? Didn't I teach them that at a church supper they should always have baked ham, one of the forbidden foods? I I would say that it's not even food, right? deliberately violating your law to show that now we are not under the law but under grace in Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 Yahshua made it very clear his opinion on the laws for verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no ways pass from the law till all be fulfilled it can't be any clearer than this now, Cambray goes off on a digression. What was called a jot, the Hebrew letter yod, and the smallest letter in Hebrew alphabet, is just a tiny little curly cue made with the pen. What they call a tittle was only a little curly cue ornament on some of the larger letters. You have noticed where you have seen old English letters; they are used in they are used today in Germany, and how the letters have all sorts of little ornamental strokes added to them. Similarly, they would put little curlicues on some of these Hebrew letters, purely as ornaments, which weren't really any part of the letters. These curlicues could be left off without changing the meaning of the letters. So Yahshua said, one yod, which is sort of like our letter I, which is also a small letter. One yod, or one little curly curlicue, shall not pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Joshua continues, whosoever shall, break, whosoever shall break one of the least of these commandments, and shall teach men to do so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be standing outside knocking on a door and not being let in the warning is plain enough but the truths of the Bible aren't taught anymore in the churches what is taught is man-made doctrine and the social gospel that won't offend the Jews remember the prophecy that, would not, that there would be a famine not a famine of bread or a thirst for water but a famine of hearing the word of Yahweh. This is exactly what has come upon us. I would say that's part of the promised great deception. To Jews we must create a list and add every other non-white race. Compre is right that the gospel of the kingdom has not been taught since the first century, or until recent times, when identity Christians are now preaching it once again. And we are the only people preaching it. He continues Somebody once said, The more it changes, the more it is the same. We have gone through these events before, several times in our history. There is no record of any exception to this rule that an organized church, sooner or later, becomes a corrupted and apostate church. If there ever should have been an exception to this rule, it should have been in Jerusalem. For there they had the temple of Yahweh, with the personal appearance of Yahweh manifested there the glory of the Lord. And yet what happened? They not only reached the point where the priests were not teaching the laws of Yahweh, the priests were leading them into idolatry. Read the book of Ezekiel. Yahweh said, Look at what they have done in my house in Jerusalem you find in it altars to pagan gods set up in a temple in Jerusalem. Look at what happened after that. In the very early days, the first century of the Christian era, there was a fairly sound church. From the early 300s on, as the Catholic Church developed, look at what happened. What can you find of the old Babylonian paganism that is not part of the official doctrine of the Catholic Church today? the Catholic Church has been utterly corrupted and I would say that the so-called Eastern Orthodox Church is no better being filled with idols and engaged in the rituals and commandments of men Compare, continues look at the Protestant churches true they don't recognize the Pope as being successor to Yahweh but they have a list of corruptions just about as impressive as the Catholic Church it is that period of apostasy which the Bible prophesied. The ministers and priests are the people who are utterly unprepared for the return of Joshua. If I am not mistaken, the Methodist church of today does not require a student of the ministry to swear that he believes Joshua will actually return in order to be ordained a minister. What the hell, he could even be a fag now. He can be ordained without this belief. This, the same is true of some of the other major churches. It is going to be rather rough going for a good many people when Joshua returns, because the signs are all around us. And here, as we have already alluded, Camprey has failed to mention the wanton race mixing and licentiousness which is implied in the seventh warning where Christ had said but as the days of Noah were before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage why would he mention those things what were they doing when you look at Genesis chapter 6 and I'll quote it the way I believe it originally read The sons of heaven were taking wives of the daughters of Adam. The fallen angels were taking wives of the daughters of Adam. The same exact thing that they're doing today. And if you don't believe that these other races are actually abominations, corruptions, perpetrated by the fallen angels, well, go listen to Pragmatic Genesis. I don't know what to tell you I've proven that I think a thousand times that's beside the point it's exactly as it was in the days of Noah today that should be proof enough of the entire thesis Compray didn't see that when he was writing these sermons there was relatively very little such race mixing in either the United States or Europe and certainly even less in Canada and Australia and other White Havens. When I he wrote this sermon in 1972 in 1972 I was 11 years old and I couldn't imagine being in the same school with a nigger even in Jersey City. I went to Catholic school and there were no nigger Catholics. We were insulated. I couldn't imagine being in school with one of those beasts, never mind having them for friends or dating them or, or my sister dating them. Those thoughts didn't even enter our minds. The world has changed an awful lot since Compré wrote this sermon. Now all of the white nations are being flooded with aliens, and while a military invasion cannot be ruled out, because we can't claim to see the future it certainly is not necessary for us to see the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 right before our very eyes today but rather Compre envisioned that the end would come in a final violent conflagration and conclusion to the Cold War of the 1950s and 60s so here he continues with that idea there remains nothing more to be fulfilled but the tremendous catastrophe that marks the close of this age the Russian attack upon us that is set out in such detail in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 and some of the book of Joel this and the accompanying hardships is all that has not yet been fulfilled and I would assert that it's not being fulfilled in that manner but it certainly is being fulfilled when the Jews do demolish the Dome of the Rock mosque the Mohammedan world will go on a rampage geographically the Mohammedan world includes the northern third of Africa from the Atlantic Ocean to the Red Sea it also includes most of Western Asia including Turkey. Incidentally those Turks are still tough fighters. There was a contingent of Turkish troops with with the United Nations forces in Korea and everybody admits those Turks were the toughest fighters on our side. The Mohammedan world includes all the Arab countries which are the source of most of the world's oil outside the American continent It also includes much of the Malay Peninsula, and even some of the southern islands of the Philippine Islands. When we get all of these Mohammedans declaring a holy war against the Jews, things are going to get hot really fast. Wow. Here we see Compré imagining that the Jews would be endangered by their actions against the Muslims, which apparently would somehow assist us. In reality, we see Muslims everywhere being used as a tool and a weapon against whites by the Jews. The Muslims are only a portion of the flood emanating from the mouth of the serpent in its endeavor to make war with the woman, the bride of Yahweh, which is the white Christian nations. Mohammedans will never be our allies. Compré continues where he is really groping in the dark and this is how I dated this sermon to 1972. The man that the traitors have already picked as a probable Democratic candidate for president in 1972, Senator Muskie of Maine, is over in Palestine now. He was quoted in the paper as having declared publicly that there was no need for a formal treaty of alliance between the United States and this Jewish nation of so-called Israel because we were firmly committed to the defense of Israel no matter what it took and Muskie was a vice presidential candidate in 1968 Muskie's and this may have been 1970 or 71 who knows, that this sermon was written. Edmund Muskie's 1972 bid for president was unplugged by a letter which was certainly forged, and then by accusations that his wife was, get this, a drunken racist. Typically Jewish tricks indicating that he was not their chosen candidate. But Nixon's election staff were later blamed for the slander, This does, however, help date the writing of this sermon. Comparé passed from this world in 1980 and only a few of his surviving sermons can be dated from their content. He continues Our politicians have forced all the Arab people with their oil to become our enemies. The Arabs would be downright stupid if they didn't simply cut off all flow of oil to the Western world. The dolmen of the is destroyed the moment the dolmen of the rock is destroyed. A huge pipeline for the transportation of oil is already being built from the Iranian oil fields into southern Russia. And it seems that Compré fell that both the leaders of the Arab nations as well as the Soviet leaders were all already puppets for the Rothschilds and world Jewry. They always had been. So his view of eschatology is typical of the 20th century Anglophiles and Patriotards. This is the typical conservative viewpoint of eschatology at the time. Before World War II, Europe didn't depend too much upon oil. All of her electric power plants, railroads, and industrial plants use coal. Europe has enormous reserves of coal. Then suddenly, following World War II, somebody saw to it that all the coal-burning furnaces were dismantled and oil-burning furnaces installed in their place. In Europe, if they shut down all nonessential use of oil fuels, they might be able to continue operating at the maximum 90 days. No more on the store of oil they have there. All Russia would need to do would be to mark the time, just keeping up a threat against the eastern front of the free world, but not actually getting into any fighting. This would keep Europe on the alert, and by the end of 90 days, the free armies of Europe couldn't put an airplane in the sky. In addition, they couldn't run a tank, because there would be no longer any fuel oil fuel to use in them as far as running their factories are concerned the large steam-powered plants would also come to a halt for lack of fuel then Russia could move in and take everything with practically no fighting at all now of course this never happened because Jewry already controlled Europe and Russia now Jewry is flooding Europe with alien people in a bid to destroy the race which created the society, without destroying the society itself. Reading Comprey's proposed end-time scenario is painful because it is so wrong, but we shall continue. As far as trying to supply Europe with oil from the American continent is concerned, this would be an impossibility. At the start of World War II, Germany had 65 submarines in operating order, and some of these were just trainers. Never at any time during World War II did Germany have as many as 100 submarines in operating condition and Germany almost conquered the world single-handed. Russia starts now with an estimated minimum figure of 350 modern submarines diesel-driven of the snorkel type. It is now common now, I'm sorry, She has nearly as many atomic-fueled submarines as we have. Within the next two years, Russia will be ahead of us in the number of atomic-fueled submarines. A more probable estimate of Russia's submarine fleet would be as high as 500. We couldn't possibly get ships across the Atlantic Ocean to carry oil to Europe. Comparais, um, Comparais' assessments here are based on the conventional wisdom of the of, of the era the conventional wisdom is always wrong that's why we can't tell the future it is now common knowledge not with any some of us might get lucky once in a while but we can't tell the future with any consistency certainly not nobody can It is now common knowledge that American intelligence agents were purposely overestimating Soviet military capability in order to help fuel American defense spending and benefit the so-called military-industrial complex by increased government spending in reaction to the perceived threat, and compare fell for that. The same thing is apparently happening today with Russia and China. If either of them eclipse the United States, it is only because world Jewry has propped them up to do so. Compré continues, when an opportunity like this comes up, it would be imbecilic, imbecilic stupidity on the part of the Russians, not to take advantage of Europe without an oil supply to keep their machinery running. The Jews that are running Russia are out to conquer the world. They have never even tried to disguise this fact." Wow! At least Compré recognized that Jews were running Soviet Russia. But what he seemed not to completely understand is that they in turn operated for the benefit of other Jews who were not in Russia Because Jews were already long controlling every government. And they've destroyed every government that they couldn't control. So Compré was lacking some understanding. Continuing with Compré, he speaks of production centers, which we no longer really have, but for different reasons. <laughs> Not for the reasons that he says will no longer have them. Russia's atomic rockets will come over the North Pole to knock out our production centers. They will hit the Puget Sound area to knock out the big naval base and the huge Boeing aircraft factory. Chicago will be a target because it is the most important center of rail transportation in the country. Gary and Pittsburgh will be a target to knock out the bigger part of our steel industry and one or one or two big centers of machine tool production there. Russia's rocket, rocket carrying submarines off our coast will knock out our major port cities. Then coming down from the eastern Siberian coast, will come the the invasion barges filled with troops. This is all prophesied in the Bible and known very clearly to our military intelligence all of this is ready to happen on short notice wow now of course this strategy is now obsolete the steel mills the machine tools factories our industries were all carried away peacefully read Ezekiel 38 and 39 the hordes of Gog and Magog have come here to loot and pillage it's already been going on our industries were all carried away peacefully the railroads were used to bring them to the coasts, and the ports were used to float them off to China if the Russians wanted to bomb our factories they'll have to bomb Shanghai, Guangzhou and Beijing that's where they are The invasion he speaks of began with the Immigration Act of 1968, or I think, I'm sorry, it was 1965, and its end is nowhere in sight. The Russians did not need barges to do it. We were invaded by aliens coming in on our own commercial airlines. (laughs) I could continue, but I would rather continue with compare. You people, speaking to his congregation, you people are not in darkness. You know what to look for to make yourselves ready to survive during this rough period. You should be ready to take your place in the kingdom of Yahweh shortly thereafter. The average types of churchgoers are not going to be ready. Then they will wonder why nobody told them about this. But just try to get them to listen now. In a presentation of this sermon, which we have a recording, of which we have a recording, here Compré encouraged his listeners to begin to hoard water and food he then speaks at length about the possible fate of his hometown, San Diego as his congregants were most concerned and wanted to hear his opinion concerning their own area our original transcriber this is one of the um, handful of sermons which I didn't get through Clifton Emmeheiser and these came from the original owner of Israel Elect on a CD to Clifton he had sent them to Clifton in early 2008 before I even got out of prison and Clifton eventually passed them off to me and I have them online at Compré's website but these were all transcribed by Gene Snyder and not by Clifton which is why we don't have any of Clifton's notes this evening so Gene had left out portions here where Compre, um talks about his hometown San Diego and where he's warning his congregation to stock up on food and other necessities for survival so Jean left all that out probably about 15 minutes so we continue if you notice a sudden exodus of Jews from an area take it as a warning that they know something disastrous is going to happen I've always thought that when we pray master come down and put the lid back on the garbage can because the lid is off and it stinks this prayer might not be answered because Yahweh would say why don't you do it we are supposed to do a certain amount of these things for ourselves but then what is beyond our reach he will take care of and of course I would argue that we cannot do anything until Babylon falls and compare should have went there in this sermon and and he simply didn't, right? There is nothing we can do to stop the disaster that is coming. He is certainly right about that. We have no control over our governments. Democracy is deceit. We're only tricked into thinking that we're in control. We're in no control at all. Gold has been king since the western nations accepted democracy, and that's outlined right in the protocols and if we think that democracy is ever going to be any different then we're just cucks for satan democracy has made all of our people into cucks for satan Compré says there is nothing that we could do to stop the disaster that is coming and that's true next year there will be more squat monsters more chinks more niggers more street shitters more savage Negroes here than there are this year when the Babylonians captured Jerusalem there were some of the people who were massacred by the Babylonian army those who had it coming to them the rest of the people since they hadn't learned enough of a lesson were taken into captivity in Babylon but Yahweh saw that they weren't hurt Now, this is where our transcript and our copy of Comparais' original recording had ended. And it seems to be rather abrupt. However, while we may never know, never really know, if this was indeed the end, somehow, I think not. I think his full conclusion was probably lost to a tape editor somewhere along the line and it was probably unintended however what we do have is sufficient to see where he was going the most important portion of this sermon is where Camperé had followed the scriptures in order to demonstrate that Yahshua Christ is certainly going to return to return personally, as he had frequently promised, and that when he does return, it will be an unmistakable event, which shall leave no room for any argument as to whether or not he actually did return. The next important thing to learn from this sermon is from Comparais' failure, the way that he thought that the prophecies would unfold and the age would end are now obviously wrong but while we may have a clearer vision it is only because we've lasted we've endured a longer time so we must learn from his error that no matter how clearly we can see things We cannot read the prophecy and tell the future with any certain accuracy. As I said long ago, prophecy is not written so that we can see the future. But prophecy is written so that we can compare it to the past and know that God is true. So that we can see the promises fulfilled and know that God is true knowing that God is true we should understand that we better train ourselves to do what it is that he has instructed us to do which in this case is to take care of our own affairs and to watch for his coming while being diligent as we want to be found among his faithful servants many identity Christians want to jump the proverbial gun they think we should take the judgment of Yahweh into our own hands and win back the control of this world for ourselves on the other hand the scriptures tell us to do nothing but to watch after their own affairs our own affairs until we know that Babylon the Great is fallen is fallen last night we presented part 5 of our commentary on the Gospel of John and we titled it The Focus of the Disciple we demonstrated that John the Baptist had all of the ability to lead an insurrection against the wicked rulers of Judea as he had all the people at his command and the rulers feared him but he neglected to entertain any such idea as that was not his original commission from God and he knew it. John humbly set aside all worldly concerns to conduct his assigned task to prepare the way before Christ for that Christ called him the greatest of all the prophets he had the greatest ability but humbly stayed focused on his God-given mission keeping our own selves in that same obedience to Christ we can work towards fulfilling the Elijah ministry for our own day which is expressly described in the prophecy of Malachi where we read behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the lord and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest i come and smite the earth with a curse he is coming but we should endeavor to prepare his way which Don, john did i'm sorry which john did by informing the people of what was coming and that is also what we must do that message in Elijah that is the gospel of the kingdom the Christian identity message is the gospel of the kingdom which Compare has correctly said had not been preached since the first century only the gospel of personal salvation has been preached since then by which the professional priests have been able to exert control over the masses by keeping them in fear the Christian identity message is also the only message which turns the hearts of the children to the fathers teaching white Christians their true identity as the ancient children of Israel it turns the hearts of the children to the fathers as a result that turns the hearts of fathers to their children as people come to the awakening of the importance of race in the greater plan of Yahweh God for his children. As John had his assignment and stayed focused upon it in spite of his ability to do otherwise, so must we also because anything which we try that is outside of Yahweh's plan for us is destined to fail when Babylon falls only then shall we hear the call to arise and thresh. but until then we must fight a purely spiritual ideological war as Paul explained in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and in Ephesians chapter 6 As Paul of Tarsus had said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in readiness so that we hear the call to arise and thresh this means watching and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled and in Ephesians chapter 6 for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand standing in the evil day is all that we can hope to do and it is our obligation to educate our brethren to preach the gospel of the kingdom as Christ had said and Compere had quoted him from Matthew chapter 24, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And Compere concluded, as Compre concluded, the ancient children of Judah were taken off to Babylon for their sins, but they themselves were not harmed. However, Yahweh warned, if you go back and read Jeremiah, that he would destroy those who did not serve the king of Babylon, because his plan for Judah was captivity to serve his purpose. So neither shall we have any power against Babylon until it falls. And it certainly shall fall. But we are against it until it does fall we must realize our place in the affairs of our God and only in that manner shall we be pleasing to him the children of Israel rejected Yahweh as their king 3500 years ago they will not save themselves Because if they did, they would never again accept him as their king. In the end, they shall be saved in a way which makes it absolutely inevitable that they can never survive unless they accept him as king. That's the lesson here that's the point that we must get to as a people collectively that's our duty to spread that gospel not to take up arms against the beast not to come up with our own plan for salvation of our people that's never gonna work Hitler tried that it failed the czar of Russia tried to save his people from the Jew he failed Kaiser Wilhelm, he knew about the Jews. Where did it get him? He failed. Wilhelm too. His father was a a cuck, but he was on the ball. Okay. That's Compere's sermon. I come as a thief. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. And good night. <coughs>